first off, let me say that I am so proud of our worship team, okay? Because of what, yeah. Um, the, man, we just, we have just such great people who just are so sincere to, to discover more of God and who just have a right heart um, with, with their gift. Um, but it's not just the worship team, it's you too. Because <laughs> when, you, when you come into this room, you bring it with you too. And um, today I really want to, um, with what I'm going to be talking about, I really want to affirm you and, and all of us with what God has done and what he is doing in us when it comes to praise and worship. But at the same time, will you allow me to, um, to challenge you and say, oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> we are just, we are at the very tip, at the very tip of the iceberg. And um, I pray today that it will be uh, just eye-opening to you, that Holy Spirit will just give you revelation. Um, I do think there's, there's going to be some challenging things. There's kind of, I, I had to move some things around because I, I want to demonstrate some things for you today um, when it comes to praise and worship. So I know you have your notes. Do you have your notes ready? Um, pens at the ready? <laughs> what we're going to be doing today is uh, we're going to be talking about Seven Hebrew words for praise. How many of you know the Bible was originally written in, in Hebrew, Old Testament, and then in the Greek uh, for, the new, in the, for the New Testament? Um, but today we're going to be specifically focusing on the Hebrew uh, in the Old Testament. And so there, there are basically over 50 Hebrew words for praise and worship in the Bible, but today I just want to focus on seven. And these are basically the primary ones, the primary ones that a lot of the other words are kind of built off of or are extensions of. Um, so I want to share with those with you today. But there's three things I want you to keep in mind um, as we talk about this today. Obviously, this whole series called Finding My Purpose, what Pastor Dan, Pastor Frankie, and myself, when we kind of sat together and we discussed what we were going to be, we just didn't want to talk about just what is worship, you know? It's kind of, it's so generic, so general. We really wanted to focus, focus it in on a specific thing. And that specific thing has been throughout this whole series, it's been about your personal worship. There's a difference between personal worship and corporate worship. What we do on Sunday mornings together, okay, that, that's corporate. That's corporate worship. But I would say to you that personal worship is actually more influential and more important than corporate worship, okay? So that's what we've been talking about this whole time is personal worship, okay? So three things to keep in mind um, today as we go through these seven words. Um, what we're going to be talking about today, it's not aimed at any style, okay? It's not aimed at any cultural style, uh, musical style, even though there are some things about music that we will talk about today, any flaws in style or any issues with our worship. That's not what it's aimed at today. It has nothing to do, okay, nothing to do with my opinion or <laughs> my personal agenda as a worship leader um, in this house. Basically, I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you do anything, all right? I'm not trying to make you do anything, but I do want to show you the significance of expressive praise and worship, and I hope that you take it and apply it in your personal worship, okay? Basically, my goal as a worship leader, as a part of this worship team, as a part of this house, my goal is essentially to offer up my utmost to him, okay? And simultaneously, creating an atmosphere, an atmosphere for you to do the same. 
That's what it is. All right, so that's the first thing. Second thing to keep in mind. Um, these words are found in Scripture, in the original language. And if we abide by what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, that all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired. God-breathed. If all Scripture is inspired by God, then these words are God's prescribed way of praise and worship. And I pray that upon hearing the description of these words, you'll begin to see how to, how to unwind the traditions of men that creep in in our worship, as well as, as remove any unintentional barricades that always come when we simply don't know the heart of the Father towards us. And you know what? Let me pause with that for a moment, because what I mean by unintentional barricades, for example, I think an un unintentional barricade that uh, is theology, doctrine. Let me explain that. I think theology and doctrine is vital. With what I just said, don't toss it out the window, okay? Don't toss the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, doctrine and theology is where we must remain grounded. That keeps us grounded. But if we're not careful, if we're not aware, our theology and doctrine will keep us from pursuing the more of God because it can become something of just knowledge. This is what I know. This is what I've known. How many of you know that when Jesus showed up, he wrecked everybody's ideas of what he was supposed to be? And I think the whole concept of theology and doctrine is, one, critically important for us to be growing, growing in. But at the same time, don't let it become an unintentional barricade keeping you from pursuing the more of God. Amen? Okay. So, uh, third thing to keep in mind, these words can be applied however and whenever in your personal worship, your alone time with God. Okay? But there are some certain words, and I'll, I'll explain it a little bit more as we get into it. There are some, some certain words that um, when you are in a corporate setting, like all of us together on a Sunday morning, you really have to pay attention to what's going on in the room, not just what's going on in you. Okay, you have to subject yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit, um, and you'll see why. <laughs> I'll explain more of that later on, okay? So if you got your notes ready, you got your pens ready, let's go ahead and jump into it. Amen? First, Father, I thank you. I thank you for this time. Speak to us today, Lord. Reveal your heart to us today. Reveal your heart to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first word, yada, yada. Pastor Dan actually talked about this. The word yad or yod is uh, the, word, the Hebrew word for hand. Um, yada is a verb with a root meaning uh, that means the extended hand, to throw out the hand, or to worship with the extended hand. To worship with the extended hand. Okay? With a lot of these words, there's a lot of kind of implied meanings that if you just look at the definition, you don't get it. Okay? So, like, okay, so we raise our hands. Cool. <laughs> right? But yada is very different in its, in its implication. Obviously, the application is just the lifting of the hands. But really, yada carries the meaning of absolute surrender. 
as in giving oneself totally in worship and adoration. Okay, tell me, what is the universal sign of I surrender? <laughs> right? Throw your hands up. You know, another interesting part with Yada, when it talks about giving yourself totally in worship and adoration, what it really implies, Yada implies a child simply just lifting their hands, wanting to be held and to be picked up. To be picked up. Have, you ever been, have you ever been so overwhelmed with the goodness of God? Have you ever just been worshiping, you know, singing a song, maybe something that, a familiar song, and all of a sudden you were just totally overwhelmed with, man, I'm a child of God. Have you ever just been so, like, you don't even want to sing. You just, you just, you just, you just have to stand there. I, I, I love it when um, I come home and something that my kids do, um, I walk in the door and they're all hiding, right? I mean, they're like under the table. Of course I can see them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> they're like hiding behind the pillow, but their feet are sticking out. <laughs> and they always, I walk in and they say, boo! And of course I'm like, ah, even though I saw you. <laughs> you know, you just, that's, that's, that's what parents do. And I love it. I love it when my son, you know, he's, he's the smallest out of all of them. But I love it when I come home and he says, boo, and instantly he just runs over with his hands up. He, does, he doesn't even have to say, dad, pick me up. You know, even, even today I was talking with Pastor Dan in, in the foyer when talking about his vacation and all of a sudden I see out of my peripheral, I just see Jude coming around. And he's just, he's just walking to me. He just sees dad. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with the love of the Father that all, the only way, the only way that you can respond is just Abba, hold me. A couple of scriptures on this. Oh, and one more thing. Yada is simply just a response of what God is doing in the moment. <laughs> 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, this is the story of Jehoshaphat. I'll explain a little bit more of this later on with another word, but basically it says that when he, Jehoshaphat, had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise, yada, the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Yada, the Lord. Another verse, Psalm 107.15. Oh, that men would give thanks. That word give thanks is yada. <laughs> oh, that men would yada, the Lord, for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Have you ever just, like, just remembered about what God has done in your life? Do you really believe that God is good? Let's move on to the next word. Toda. Very similar to yada. <laughs> But it's used more specifically. It literally means to throw out the hand and thank God for things not yet received. Okay, so this form of praise, Toda, is in operation with the truth of his word. It's agreeing with his word. Toda is actually, what it's actually doing, it's acknowledging the covenant we have with God. Do you remember, there, there was a story in Genesis 15, uh, was it 15, 14? 
I think it's 14, where Abraham, basically what happens, there's this king, the king of Sodom, and some other kings basically kind of ramp up this, um, some tension. And they go around and they pillage this, um, the, this city that Lot, uh, Abram's nephew, is in. And they take all the goods and they take all the people and they take Lot along with them. So basically, Abram hears about it. And he gathers his 300-something-odd servants, and they go out, and they basically wage a battle against these kings. And they take everything back, and they get Lot back. And so what happens is the king of Sodom basically comes to Abram, and he says, all right, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> he says, all right, you got me. You beat me. He says, why don't you just keep all the stuff, but let me have all the people? Let's make a deal. In other words, what he was saying is, let's make a covenant. That was the typical thing of what they would do back then. And it's interesting to me how Abram basically responds to the king. He says, I've raised my hand to the, to the Lord Almighty. Basically, what Abraham was saying was, I've raised my hand. I've already made, I'm already in covenant with God Almighty. So I'm not going to make a covenant with you. I don't need to be in covenant with you because... I already have the one that I need. It's interesting with Toda, when it comes to covenant, did you know that when there are times, perhaps there's something going on in your life, that when you raise your hand, you're saying, God, I remember your covenant. Remember your covenant with me. Just a few months ago, pastor did a whole series on covenant. How many of you have gone through OSL level two? where we actually go through a lot of the, the, the specific rituals and, and regimen that they did in covenant uh, uh, circumstances. Let me read some scriptures here. Psalm 50, verses 14 through 15 says, Offer to God thanksgiving, toda, and, pray your, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Interesting. Call on me in the day of trouble. You know, do that with thanksgiving. Do that with toda. Normally, we come to God because we're desperate. Oh, God, do something. Oh, do something. And God is saying, remember the covenant? <laughs> when you raise your hand, you have raised your hand to the Lord Almighty. Here's another interesting one. Jeremiah 33, 11. It says, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. You know, let me back up a little bit. Jeremiah 33 is actually right smack in the middle of when uh, the kingdom of Judah was exiled to Babylon. Okay, remember all the prophets? They're basically prophesying, you better get your act together. God's going to nail you guys, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, it actually happened, okay, if you remember. It actually happened, and all, all the kingdom was basically exiled to Babylon, and Jeremiah writes this, uh, what they call a book of consolation. And this is where Jeremiah 33 is found in this book of consolation. And this is God speaking, and God says, the voice of joy. You know what? There's something else that I wanted to show you. Let me just turn to that real quick. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 33, will you? I think this is really important to see, to capture here. Okay. Thirty-three, eleven. Okay, so basically... Let me back up with, um, with verse 10. Remember that the, the, the kingdom of Judah has been exiled. The people have been exiled, but this, the city has been completely decimated, destroyed by the Babylonians. 
Verse 10 says this, Thus says the Lord, Again there shall be heard in this place, speaking of the city, of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast. Okay, this is what people are seeing. There's nobody there. There's no inhabitants. There's nothing. It's a ghost town. Walls are broken down. Gates are burned. Everything is destroyed. That's what people are seeing. That's what they're saying about it. And God is saying, this is what people are going to say. Um, again, there shall be heard in this place, so forth, so forth. In the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise. Get what, guess what that word praise is right there? Toda. The sacrifice of Toda. Who will bring the sacrifice of Toda into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return. Is that the first? Interesting how God is saying, you know what? It's going to be the praise. It's going to be the praise. Even though you're seeing destruction, you're seeing your gates burn, you're seeing your own, you're seeing your, your, your home destroyed, you're seeing your, your fellow countrymen at the very lowest rank in society in a completely different country, in a completely different kingdom. And God is saying, praise. Because there's gonna be one day where I will cause the inhabitants to return back to this land. Sacrifice of praise. There is great faith involved with Toda. Basically, it's praising God when you don't feel like it. When you're not, when things aren't lining up, when God's goodness isn't quite, mm, I don't see it, I don't get it. Praise. I will lift my hand and I will acknowledge the covenant. Next word, Barak. It means to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration. It's a response to deep awareness of kingship. Okay, just as yada, when you lift your hands, you are so aware of the, of the goodness of God, the love of, a fa of the Father, right? Barak is when you're suddenly aware of the king just walked in the room. What do you do when the king walks in the room? Have you ever, have you ever seen like uh, movies or even in some countries today um, in monarch type countries where there's a king or a queen or a monarchy type of government, when, they, when, when you come into the presence of the king, there's actually certain rules. There's requirements that you have to do. A lot of times it's bowing before the king. Sometimes you have to look the king or the monarch, whoever it is, you have to look the king in the eye. Some, at, uh, with, with some cultures, you weren't allowed to look the king in the eye because of he was like a god king, okay? How do you respond when the king of kings enters the room? You know what Barak does? Barak reveals the intent of one's heart that you give place to God as your king. It also implies the posture of ministering to the Lord. I'll explain a little bit of that in, in just a moment here, ministering to the Lord. Let me read some scriptures here. Psalm 95, 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel, Barak, before the Lord. 
let us kneel before the Lord. First Chronicles 29, 20. I find this interesting because this is when, when, David, um, when David brought the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The first time they tried it, it went bad, <laughs> right? A few months later, they finally realized, oh, okay, you're not supposed to roll it on a cart. The priests are supposed to carry it, and they kind of got everything in line. And they brought it back, and everybody was rejoicing. They were singing. They were dancing. And it's interesting in First Chronicles 29, when there was this huge celebration, and then basically uh, David said to all the assembly in verse 20, now bless Barak, the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed Barak, the Lord God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord as their king. I think... What I love most about this particular passage is the king of Jerusalem directed all the the blessing, directed all the praise to the rightful king. That's that's the heart. David, David captured that heart. Even though he was the king he helped direct the people's praise to the King of Kings. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless Barak, the Lord, at all times. Kind of hard to live life when you're constantly like this, right? <laughs> you know, how do you go to work like that all the time? But it's not, it's not just a physical kneeling down. It's not what Barak just, it's not limited to just that. As I said, it's to bless God as an act of adoration. And this is where I want to talk about ministering to the Lord. Ministering to the Lord. Um, there, are th- there are three areas of ministry, three areas of ministry. One is to the Lord. Two, to the church. Three, to the world. Three areas of ministry, to the Lord, to the church, to the world. Ministry to the world is the most urgent, but priority number one is ministry to the Lord. If you're worshiping for any purpose other than to bless the Lord, then you're not worshiping. You're manipulating. There are many spiritual blessings and even atmospheric changes that that can come through worship. But honestly, if that's your focus, you're just a manipulator. It's not a smart idea. When God, when God, when Jesus died on the cross and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, God was basically saying through that act, he was saying, I'm available. I'm here. No longer is this going to keep us separated. I don't think it's a smart idea to use the invitation into the throne room of God for personal gain. Listen, everybody, listen. Does God love to bless his children? Yes, he does. When you come into his presence, what do you think he wants to do? He wants to bless you. He wants to give everything to you. Why do we feel that we have to do something to make God do that when it's already in his heart to do that? You hear me? Okay. Don't use God to reach an intended target. Don't use worship to do that. Worship God because he's worthy. Ministry to the world 
As I said, it's the most urgent, but priority number one is ministry to the Lord. Ministry to the world will be directly affected by your ministry to the Lord. Everybody jump over to Acts chapter 13 real quick. I know I'm moving fast. We got a lot to cover in a little time, but thank God for podcasts. <laughs> All right, Acts 13 um, it says this, verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This was obviously before Saul became Paul, um, or before his name was changed to Paul. Verse 2, and it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's interesting here, this word, this phrase, ministered to the Lord, um, it's, it's one word, it's called liturgeo, and in, in the original language, in classical Greek, this word actually described the service that somebody would offer voluntarily to the state. Later on, it indicated um, the state required services um, by citizens who were specially qualified for these services. Usually that meant something like they, they were experienced or had wisdom in a certain topic or subject, or um, they, were, they were wealthy, they had money. Uh, later on, it just it described any kind of service. But interestingly, in the New Testament times, and, it, and particularly in this passage right here, the word liturgeo, it was the word for the service that a priest or servant rendered in the temple. Most, I would say most scholars, if not all, most scholars basically say that what they were doing is they were praying and they were worshiping. Just, just get, this, get this picture. You have a bunch of guys, prophets, in Antioch, okay? And they just get this idea in the head. That, you know what? Let's just, let's go, let's bless the Lord. Let's get together and let's just, let's love the Lord. Let's just love on, love on God. And they ministered to the Lord. Check it out. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This is where Paul's missionary journeys actually started. Did you catch that? Basically, the rest of the New Testament came from this ministering to the Lord moment. Which then, I have to ask the question, what would have happened? What would have happened in the course of church history? Could any, what would have changed? What could have been changed in church history if that ministering to the Lord moment never happened? What if? What if they were just busy ministering to the world? Would we even have a New Testament? Would we have all the letters that Paul wrote? Do you see how important ministering to the Lord really is? Because it's in these moments when you just simply come and want to bless the Lord out of an act of adoration, that you just want to bless the Lord that suddenly revelation comes, vision for your life comes, specific words come, the Lord blesses. When his children know how to bless him, man, he knows how to top that. Amen. And it's not just you. It's not just for you. It's for the world. 
All right, you with me still? All right, Shabbat. All right, this is, this is a big one here, okay? Shabbat. It means to shout, address in a loud tone, to triumph. Listen, everybody. <laughs> heaven, heaven is a loud place. Heaven is a loud place. When you look at the descriptions of heaven and revelation, there's singing and shouting and thundering and all sorts of stuff going on, right? Don't think for one minute that when you get to heaven, it's just going to be, ah, peaceful. <laughs> all right, the, pe- the, the peace is going to be inside. <laughs> it's going to be internal, okay? I mean, just think about it too. Like when Jesus, when Jesus comes back, the second coming of Christ, the Bible says that he's coming with a loud trumpet and the voice of the archangel. Okay? He's coming back with some noise. He's not sneaking in the back like, psst, back door. Shh, don't, don't listen. Shh, I'm here. Come on, shh. Kind of like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> that's, that's, no. He's coming back with, with some pizzazz, right? Everybody's going to know when he shows up. Everybody's going to know it. And I think, I think that God likes it when we shout to him to praise him. So I want to demonstrate this, but first I want to show you, I want to show you a picture. Can we put up that, that, that picture real quick? I want to show you what Shabbat actually looks like. Okay. This is Michael Phelps and the American swim team in the Olympics when they, when they won the, 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 the relay in swimming, okay? <laughs> okay, what, what, do you th- what kind of sound do you think they, those, they're making right now? You know, is it kind of like, yay! Or is it like, yeah! That's what Shabbat is all about, okay? Now listen, Shabbat, yes, it's a shout, a loud tone, but it's not just about being loud. Are you guys awake now? (laughs) It's not just about being loud. You know, what Shabbat really implies, it's the attitude of putting your whole being into it. Have you ever been so victorious over something you know, a lot of athletes experience this, you know, for instance, with that picture and even World Series or, you know, the, uh, the Super Bowl. When, they, when that victory is finally won, you think they're just like, yeah, that was good, you know? No, they're, yes! We won! Right? This Shabak, the attitude is really about this. Listen up. It's about being completely uninhibited in your praise. Completely uninhibited in your praise. Let me read some scriptures. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples, and shout with the voice of triumph to God. Psalm 145. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Interesting to me how it says one generation to another. I wonder if we're losing some generations because we're too quiet. I wonder. I'll let you be the judge of that. 
Isaiah 12, 6, cry out and shout, Shabbat, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One in your midst. Shouting, everybody, shouting is biblical praise. Shouting is biblical praise. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember when I first taught this in OSL level four, uh, the most recent one, actually. It was funny because I'm not going to have you do it, okay? So don't worry. <laughs> but in level four, we actually all do this. We demonstrate, we, we do it together. And it was interesting because I basically, all right, are you guys ready? And everybody's like, what? We're, we're, do, we're doing this? What? Is, is this appropriate? <laughs> it was funny because I said, all right, I'm going to count to three, and you have to be completely uninhibited. Whatever sound comes out of your mouth, make it completely uninhibited. And they were like, everybody's looking at her like, I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> you know? And it was funny because when we first started, it started off kind of like a, yeah, yeah! And it turned into a Shabbat. But you know what? One of the things that I think Shabbat really does is that it disables religious thinking of what's proper or what's allowed. It disarms it completely. Because just as everybody was like, ah, and it kind of grew into it, it was kind of like, well, if you go there, okay, all right, I'll go there, you know. <laughs> it was really awesome. And if, I know that some of you are in here, when we finished, we went on for about, I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, which is a long time to hold that intensity for, for that amount of time. But when we talked about it afterwards, it was so awesome because what, basically what everybody was saying is, man, there was such a release. Like something, something happened when we went there. Shabbat really disarms the power of religiosity. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a time to be quiet before the Lord. I'm not negating that, okay? Just, I'm not negating that at all. But at the same time, when it comes to Shabbat, don't feel like you have, to, you have to earn anything. Don't feel like you have to sell anything or prove anything. It's not selling anything to God. It's celebrating everything of who he is and what he's done, all right? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't think I want to pass this up, but a lot of times, I think in a lot of ways, why people don't go here with Shabbat, completely uninhibited. Why they don't go there is, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's just not me. <laughs> That's just not my personality. Stop. Stop. Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. That word fear in the Greek actually speaks of cowardice. We gotta stop using our personalities and our shyness to explain why we're not having breakthrough. Amen. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need to quit explaining why we're not having breakthroughs and get, get a revelation of the cross. Get a revelation of the cross. And let's get on with it. There are generations that are, that are being lost. There are people who are being lost because... We have to, we're, 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 we're limited to what's proper. Stop. 
Let's get on to our breakthroughs. I mean, just think about it. Consider what a breakthrough is. A bre- you're, you're breaking through something. There's something that's there that's holding you back, that's keeping you inhibited, right? And you've got to push through that. Let me tell you, <clears throat> many times that something that is there, it's not the devil and it's not some demonic oppressive thing that's coming against you. What I really think it is a lot of the times is your own self. It's your own self. The greatest inhibitor to your breakthrough is your need to keep your own dignity. It's not time to come in, it's not time to come into the presence of the Lord to get built up. That does happen. Okay? Shabak, it's about unleashing. Unleash the authority that's already been given to us through what Jesus did on the cross. You are more than a conqueror. You have been given the spirit of power. You've been lavished with the love of the Most High, and He's given you a sound mind. You didn't even have to go to college for it, (laughs) y'all. He's given it to you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a friend of God. Amen. Now, this one is really important to recognize um, the difference between personal worship and corporate worship. Okay, because I've been in situations, I've been in circumstances where people just shouted out to the Lord, but it wasn't from God, it was them. Okay, and you know what, frankly, it can get really weird in a corporate setting. That's why it's really important to recognize what God is doing in the room in a corporate setting. Because you may experience certain things in your personal worship that puts you here with God. But what if you come into a corporate setting and Holy Spirit is working here? If you operate here when he's working here, you've just become God. You've taken control of what's happening in the room. Uh Uh-oh. That's why it's really important to apply these things in your personal worship, to apply these words in your personal worship, because the more that you do it, the more familiar with his leading that you become. And when you're in a corporate setting, (laughs) it's not about you. It's about what he's doing in the room. Can you imagine what kind of love you would have for your brothers and your sisters if somebody who comes in and they're just like totally unaware of these kinds of things? And if you're here and they're here, that you humble yourself and you say, all right, Lord, I'm with you. I think that's a heart we should all apply when it comes to a corporate setting of worship. Let's move on to the next one, zamar. It means to pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise. Um, It's a musical term which is largely involved with joyful expressions of music with musical instruments. And zamar, a little bit more on a deeper part of it, zamar also indicates to strike or pluck this uh, under the anointing of God. A couple of scriptures on this. First Chronicles 16.9 says, Sing to him, sing psalms, zamar psalms to him. Talk of all of his wondrous works. Um, Psalm 150 it doesn't use specifically the word zamar. It actually uses the word halal. But it lists every single category of instrument, of musical instrument that has ever existed. And it says, praise the Lord with this. Praise the Lord with a percussive instrument, with a cymbal, with a, with a, with a wind instrument, with a stringed instrument. Every category of instrument, it's in there. There's so much, oh my goodness, there's so much I could go into this, but for the sake of time, I, I'm, I won't. But I do want to talk a little bit about church history. Um, there's, there's constantly been a question of, should instruments be in the church? Should instruments be in the church? Well, 
there was a time in history when the church actually removed music completely. And it, it, was, it was for political reasons. Pope Gregory, um, it was around 500 to 600 AD, uh, he basically, have you ever heard of Gregorian chants? Okay, kind of the ancient Gregorian chant. It comes from this guy, Pope Gregory, which is ironic, kind of a slap in the face based off of what he did. But uh, Pope Gregory rejected congregational singing and claimed that it was reserved for clergy only, holy people. He then proceeded to set up a music school to teach people to get rid of music. Not to teach music, but to teach them to get rid of music. And let priests only sing the music. You know what that point in history was called? The Dark Ages. It lasted for a thousand years. For a thousand years, the church lost their song, and it wasn't until a man by the name of Martin Luther came along and displayed, nailed up his 95 Theses against the church, and he began to reinstitute music, singing, and musical instruments again. You know what that was called? The Reformation. What's interesting is that the Dark Ages didn't just affect the church. It affected the globe. So should, should music and instruments be a part of the church? Yeah. <laughs> but let me say this too, and I'm just going to add this in. In some ways, the church has begun to lose their song again, not because anyone is politically removing it from us, but because the Western church has chosen to limit the expressions of praise and worship to a group of people on a platform. Folks, listen, the musicians... The musicians in a church were never intended to be the soloists of praise. I don't know about your Bible, but my, my Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. It's time to stop questioning instruments or styles of music, and it's, it's time to stop waiting for the music to get us in the mood to praise and worship. Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You know what that tells me? That you already have a song coming into his, into his gates. Enter into his courts with praise. You're already singing, coming into, coming into this house. You've already got a song in your mouth. We can't wait for the music to be just right. We can't wait for the environment to be just right for us to... Praise and worship is not conditional. It ought not to be. Let's move on. Halal. This is the primary Hebrew word for praise. This is where we get the word hallelujah from. It means to be clear, to shine, to boast, celebrate, or to be clamorously foolish. <laughs> clamorously foolish. It also means to boast and to make a show of. It can also imply dancing. A simpler way of saying what halal really means, are you ready for it? It means to freak out for God. It means to freak out for God. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Halal God in his sanctuary. Halal him in his mighty firmament. It's interesting to me <clears throat> that God invites us to freak out for him in his sanctuary. You know, for most people, they've been trained and taught that you have to come in with, you know, proper, you know, the certain posture to have before the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not saying that having manners and, you know, 
following what's, what's happening in the moment. I'm not negating that at all. But I just find it interesting that God in Psalm 150, the last chapter of the book of Psalms, saying, come on, freak out for me in my house. You know, halal is another one like Shabbat. It makes us all feel really uncomfortable because who would automatically go up to, uh, go, go, and, go and sign up to be clamorously foolish? Not me, <laughs> okay? But let me be honest with you, I'm uncomfortable with this too. I'm still learning how to halal the Lord. My first experience with this was actually in North Carolina. I was, I think I was like 17 or 18. And I was just cleaning up my room. My mom was downstairs. Somebody came visiting and she was downstairs talking with them. And I was listening to this song by Donnie McClurkin. Anybody know Donnie McClurkin? That brother. Oh my goodness. He's so good. Um, it was a song called, I Call You Faithful, or I Call You Holy. And they just go, I call you holy, your name is holy, you were so holy to me. And then they go, I call you righteous, your name is righteous. And then they go, I call you faithful, your name is faithful. And it was like this surge of just like, I, oh my goodness, I, I was, listen, I was cleaning my room. I was a good kid, okay? I was cleaning my room. <clears throat> But all of a sudden, I had to stop because there was a sudden urge, like I had to start dancing. I, 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 so what I did, <laughs> I went over and I looked out the door. Okay, they're not paying attention. Close the door. <laughs> I went over and I closed the windows and I just let loose. I call you whole. And I just started dancing. I couldn't contain myself. I could not contain myself. Okay, that was my first experience. I didn't know what it was at the time, but every single time when I first heard what halal really meant, I was like, oh, that's what that was. Okay. So, listen, when it comes to halal, yes, it's uncomfortable. But you know what? God is not trying to embarrass us. He's not trying to embarrass us, yet he will always target the things in our hearts and the specific things in our hearts that keep us from breaking through. We have to swallow our pride, stop maintaining our own dignity. And when we do that, that is the first step to halal. I got to show you this. This is the heart of God. Zephaniah 3.17. Perhaps this will help you with your experience with halal. Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You got to get this. When it says that God rejoices over you with singing and with gladness, it's not just good thoughts, okay? It's not just good vibes, and it's not just feelings of happiness that he has for you, okay? That word rejoice in the Hebrew, that, that is the word sus, S-U-S. You know what sus means? It means to rejoice and to be delighted but in the Hebrew language, it denotes jumping and spinning around under the influence of a violent emotion. Hello. When it says that the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save, he will rejoice, Zeus, over you with gladness, and he will rejoice, Zeus, over you with singing. You want to know what God does when he thinks about you? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love, yes, yes. That's your God. He 
jumps around and he spins around under the influence of a, of a, of a violent emotion over you. In other words, God cannot contain himself over you. He's got a song for you. He rejoices over you. God's love for you causes him to completely freak out over you. Did you catch that? Most of us think of God sitting on the throne and he's just with the white beard, the judge of all the earth. He is the judge. He is the almighty. But he's so different than what we typically see him to be. I hope that picture helps you in your journey of learning how to halal God. For the sake of time, I won't read it, but look at Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus actually did this. When the disciples came back rejoicing because they could cast out demons, it says that Jesus, you know what, let me just, <laughs> I got to, sorry, I got to do it, Luke 10. Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. You know what that word rejoice means? It means that he jumped around and he spinned around rejoicing. You know what? In that moment, if you read the whole section, Luke chapter 10, I believe that Jesus displayed a picture of the father that most people don't really catch. That when you partner with God for the kingdom, for the advancement of the kingdom, yes, yes. Jesus rejoiced, jumping and spinning around. All right, let's move on. Last one, Tehillah. Tehillah is derived from the word halal, and it means the singing of halls to sing or to laud and perceived to involve music, especially singing. And it means hymns, of the spirit, Tehillah. I've taught him on this a few times. I'm sure you all have heard it, but just follow me. Tehillah is really the spontaneous song, and it's prophetic in nature. I'll show you that in a minute. It's a melody from your heart unto the Lord. It's unrehearsed. It's unprepared. It's not a song that somebody else wrote. It's not a song that Chris Tomlin wrote or Bethel or Hillsong or any, Matt Redman, anybody else. It's your song. It's not one that's written up on the screen. It's totally spontaneous. It's a special kind of singing, but this is the only kind of praise where the Bible says that God inhabits. And many times, breakthrough follows to heal the praise. Let me read some scriptures. Psalm 22, 3. But you, O Lord, are holy, enthroned in the tehillah of Israel, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Isaiah 42, 8. Listen to this. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my tehillah to carved images. Isaiah 61.3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of tehillah for the spirit of heaviness. Tell me, what's another name for spirit of heaviness? What does that sound like? Depression. Yeah, depression. What is God's uh, antidote for depression. Tehillah. Spontaneous song. How do you break depression? You praise. I mean, consider how many people are on antidepressant drugs. 
You know what that tells me? They've lost their song. They've lost their song. King Jehoshaphat's victory in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Many of you are familiar with the story where he gets the letter from this massive army that's coming against him and he lays it out before the Lord and he's basically saying, you're the God of the covenant. You're the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gathers all the people of Judah together. Judah means praise. He gathers all the people of Judah together and there's a prophet that says, there's, this battle is not yours, it belongs to the Lord. Fast forward and basically Jehoshaphat says, let's send out the singers. So they do. And we read it earlier. It says, praise, they went out, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That word praise, it's yada. Okay, this is kind of funny, right? So imagine the enemy, their perspective. They've massed against the kingdom of Judah and they see a group of people just out in the middle of the battlefield where everything's getting ready to happen to go down. And they're walking around, singing a song, singing a love song with what? The international sign of surrender, okay? With their hands up. That's what they're seeing. So that's verse 20, uh, verse 21. Verse 22 goes in and it says, and when they began to praise, or it says, and when they began to sing and praise. That's not yada anymore. You know what it is? It's Tehillah. Something switched. They no longer yada, they began to Tehillah. And it says, and when they began to sing and to praise that the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. And basically, they destroyed themselves. And it took the, 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 the people of Judah three days to gather all the spoil. I believe in a corporate setting, I believe that Tehillah praise is the final round before breakthrough comes. Every, all seven of these words are important. All seven of them are important. They have a specific target in mind, okay? It's obviously praise and worship. But there's something about Tehillah. God doesn't, God doesn't inhabit the yada. He doesn't inhabit the halal. He doesn't inhabit the zamar. What does he inhabit? The Tehillah. He doesn't share the todah. I'm sorry, he doesn't share the Tehillah. In the New Testament, it's a, di it's, it's a different language, it's a different word, but the application is, is very much the same. Uh, there's nothing different about its nature or its power. Interesting, in the New Testament, you have, you have um, not a whole lot when, when it comes to uh, praise and worship. The New Testament doesn't dive into it a whole lot, but there's a few key verses here. And it says, Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, singing with Holy Spirit empowerment to the Lord. Okay, check it out. Both of them say, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, or teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did you know that when we sing, it's not just vertical. It's not just to God. It's to one another. Teaching and admonishing, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
This is, what I'm, this is what I want to say to you. When we are singing, don't just sing the song. Send it. Send it. It's got a purpose behind it. Send it. It's prophetic in nature. That is why it's a heal of praise and spiritual songs in the New Testament are prophetic in nature. In nature. Think of Paul and Silas when they were in prison, right? They just got beaten. They were thrown in the Philippian jail and they were sitting there in the stocks, scholars say, for about 12 hours in pitch dark, in, in, in pitch dark right? And it says that they began to sing and all the prisoners in the jail listened. They were listening to them. They had their attention. Interestingly, when they sang, there was a great earthquake and all the chains broke off. Not just of Paul and Silas, but of all the prisoners. And you remember the story, the Philippian jailer comes in and he notices, wow, what just happened? And he takes the sword and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, whoa, 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 wait, 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 we're all here. We're all here. Why didn't the other prisoners make a break for it? Because suddenly, because of praise and worship, there was an environment of liberty and freedom that was stronger inside that prison than it was outside the prison. Pastor, I'm, I'm pretty much done. If you, would, if you would come on up. I want to conclude with this. I love what's happening in this church when it comes to praise and worship, but we are just, we are, we're just getting started. We are just getting started. It's time to become centered around the presence of God. It's time to become centered around the presence of God. And before, before I, let me, let me just, let me say this. I, I fully believe in the preaching of the word. I believe it's, it is, it is the number one way for people to hear the gospel. It is. We need to preach. We need to speak the word. We've been commanded to do that. But today, the body of Christ in the Western church gathers around a sermon. When the Israelites camped around the presence. You hear me? The Israelites camped around the presence. If you want to see heaven invade earth, it's not going to happen because we have the, the right political person in office. Okay? It's not going to happen in the political arena. The breakthroughs that we want to see in the earth, read Psalm 67. The breakthroughs that we want to see in earth, it happens because of the breakthroughs that we have in here through praise and worship, because of the breakthroughs that you have in your personal worship. I encourage you, I don't have time to go through it, but Psalm 67 lays it all out. Isaiah 42 lays it all out. We want to see the the kingdom of heaven invade earth. It starts with a people, the children of God, who know how to praise and worship with purpose. Thank you.